Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee. Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle once again. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon around the world on the iHeartRadio app on great radio stations like Fox Sports Radio 1400 in the Midlands, Sports Radio 100.1, The Fan in Florence at 920 a.m. in Manning. You can be a part of the program as well. 803-450-0086. That is your text line and your call-in line. Never text while you're driving and out of the gates in a hurry. ESP ESPN's own Tom Luganbill joins the program to talk about his life in sports. Tom, how are you, man? Good to have you back on the show. I'm doing really good. I'm very fortunate to uh, obviously have gainful employment, and in the recruiting world, there's always plenty of film to watch, so I'm able to stay busy throughout the day. You know, Tom, one of the great things that we've been able to do during this time without uh, a bunch of live sports is really focus on the, the individuals who are influencing sports today, such as yourself, and how sports maybe more so influenced them when they were growing up. What were some of your earliest memories of sports as a child, maybe at your house in the backyard with your, your dad or mom or brothers? or you know, What were those earliest memories for you of sports? So, you know, I was a coach's kid, and I was the son of a college coach growing up during, you know, my formative years, elementary school through you know, junior high and high school. And, you know, there's there's so many great memories. I, I can remember this. This is actually kind of a, a funny story. Um, remember Marcus Dupree, the running back? They did a 30 for 30. Oh, on. right, right. The best you never heard so, of or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So in Oklahoma. So. He was, uh, Oklahoma was playing Arizona State in the 1983 Fiesta Bowl. I was, I don't know, maybe seven years old, something like that. I, I can't quite remember. And my dad was the defensive coordinator on that ASU team. And that was the game. That was the game that Marcus Dupree got hurt, and that was it. I mean, that was, that game is when it happened. And um, I remember vividly, because in those days it was so different, but I remember walking around the sidelines like every coach's kid does, and the game's going on. And there's Barry Switzer on the sideline, and he's smoking cigarettes <laughs> while he's coaching the game. Now, imagine seeing that today. Yeah. No, you just wouldn't. I mean, it, 
Go ahead. Well, well, and I was going to say, too, you know, from that standpoint, I, I had Tommy Bowden on the show the other day. He's also uh, the son of a, a coach, obviously. And, and I just think about the different lives that you guys uh, had to lead because of uh, how impactful sports was on just day-to-day operations in the Luganville home. Well, yes, you're you're right. And it, listen, there's a lot of good, but then there's a you know, there's a downside too. It, it's hard to deal with, you know, when you're a kid. It's hard to deal with negative publicity, and you know, you're growing up and you're going to school, and maybe your dad's team had a bad weekend and they lost the game, and now you know everybody's on you about it. And yeah, I mean, you know, kids can be so. But the, the positives far outweigh the negative. I mean, you're in a locker room, you're around all the football players, you're in the coaches' offices, you're drawing pictures on the whiteboard and the, I remember um my let's see my dad was the head coach of San Diego State and um Marshall Falk was in his sophomore year and I remember being in the coach's office and my dad was having to interview uh to replace his running backs coach so he's got it down to two applicants one had been a GA for him and then went and worked for Randy Walker for a year at Miami of Ohio. All right. And then the other one was an assistant at Colorado state under Earl Bruce. So those two coaches that he was interviewing were Sean Payton and urban Meyer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not yeah. exactly a uh, chop liver, huh? Yeah. So he ends up hiring Sean because he had been familiar with him. He'd been a GA there. So he hired them back to Miami of Ohio, and I, and I remember, I would, let's see, I would have been at that time a junior in high school. And I remember sitting on, in on position meetings with Marshall Falk and Sean Payton coaching the meeting. Unbelievable. Tom Luganbill hanging out with us, sharing uh, his life in sports and growing up, Tom. Obviously, uh, you were a good athlete. You went on to play collegiately, but what were the, you know, did you play baseball? Were you sort of an all around performer back then? Or, you know, were you more just kind of, this is my lane and this is what sport I want to play with football? Well, you know, back then, which is, in my opinion, what it should be more like now, you know, everybody played multiple sports. If you were an athlete, you didn't just play football and then focus on training for football in the off season. Uh, I played basketball. Um, a couple of years I ran track. But you're all, you, we're all, you know, in those days, pre-internet, pre-cell phone, video games were, were – was Nintendo and Tech Mobile. So, and, you know, I would either be at the beach surfing or riding skateboard down the sidewalk or playing football or basketball. We were always outside. And, you know, we were encouraged to play other sports. And I, I feel like kids have gotten away from that now with all the specialization and the overtraining that's going on. Um, you know, every time I'm speaking with a college coach and we're talking about prospects, you always hear, you know, that kid plays basketball too, or that kid also plays baseball. You should see that kid run track or, you know, such and such, so on. And so to me, that's how it was growing up. And when you're around athletics your whole time, one of the things that was really, I think, impactful for me, and I've actually taken on the same approach with, with my son. I've got a 14-year-old that's going to be a freshman in high school in the fall, is because my dad was a college coach, because I'd grown up in it, you know, there can be a lot of pressure to play football. 
and I never received any of that pressure. If I wanted to play the piano, great, go play the piano. If I wanted to play basketball and not play football, okay, great. Um, so I think that was one of the reasons why I loved it um, as much as I did growing up, and it was because I wasn't forced to. I, I, I didn't have any pressure to to play football or to get involved in the coaching f- profession, which I later did, or you know, scouting and now broadcasting. And so I think that was kind of the right approach that my dad took with me. Yeah, you know, my dad's similarly um, a little bit older than your father, but my dad played baseball at Walford and, and never pushed me towards that sport. And, and I grew up loving basketball more than than any sport in terms of, you know, where kind of, I guess, my size and frame uh, built up. But I think that is healthy when your parents are willing to let you just kind of be who you want to be. Tom Luganbill hanging out with us here on Clemson Sports Talk today. So, Tom, having a dad that was moving around a little bit, do you do you have names from the past, maybe at, at high schools that you could remember the guys? You know, you're at the local pharmacy getting a soda, and you go, "Oh man, did you see what you know Tom did last night on the field?" Do you have any of those moments from when you were a kid looking up to guys? Uh, yeah, actually, for me, it was interesting. I still stay in contact with him to this day, just because we, you know, kind of stayed in the same. Uh, profession to some degree. Uh, John Lynch was a senior when I was a freshman. Okay. And John John was the guy, the local area guy that everybody kind of kind of looked at. You know, terrific student. He's going to Stanford. Uh, a lot of people don't realize until his junior year in college, he was a quarterback. He was a quarterback all through high school. He was a quarterback his first three years at Stanford, and then transitioned to defense because he was he was so athletic, but. You know, he was he was the guy that that everybody kind of looked at as as, as as being something special. And, and you know, there's so many great players, and this would have been a little bit before my time with some of them, but so many great players that had come out of the San Diego area, whether it was Junior Seau in Oceanside, whether it was. Um, Marcus Allen at Lincoln High School, uh, J.J. Stokes, the receiver, Leroy Glover, both came out of Point Loma High School. There so many college All-Americans and NFL pros that were somewhere in the area at the high school ranks that, that moved on and were very, very successful. For me, because it happened to be at my high school, it, it was John Lynch. And if it would have been five to seven years earlier than that, Another guy that went to our high school that ended up becoming, you know, an iconic figure in our society was professional skateboarder Tony Hawk. Oh, okay. And during, <laughs> yeah, during the era, that era of the 80s and yeah. late 80s, where skateboarding was at its all-time high, Tony Hawk went to, to our high school. And um, so, yeah, I was able to be around, you know, quite a lot of dudes that were, that moved on and became, uh, you know, pretty prominent fixtures in our society. Tom Luganbill on the show that shakes the Southland clubs and sports talk, taking a look back at the, the sports influences in his life. And hey, I can only imagine what a Tom Luganbill back in those days may have been in Southern California. Well, let's just say I had a good tan. I had blonde hair. <laughs> it was shaggy. Um, I probably would have been a lot better shape. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm, a, I'm just under six foot one. And I had always been a kid. I was very, very lightly recruited out of high school. I was an academic qualifier, but just didn't have a lot of opportunities. Chose to go the junior college route. But I 
for I could not gain weight. I was 5'11", 6 foot, probably as a senior out of high school, maybe 155 pounds, okay? And two years later, I'm the starting quarterback at Georgia Tech, and I'm probably a little over 6 foot, and I didn't weigh up an ounce over 160 pounds as a Division One starting quarterback. And in those days, you didn't get recruited at quarterback if you were six foot or you were 5'11". Now, it, it's pretty prevalent at the collegiate rank. And we're seeing guys, from, you know, from Kyler Murray to Chase Daniel to, you know, we can name a bunch of them. Um, so, but that didn't happen in those days. And, uh, you know, funny, a little other story you talk about, I heard you mention earlier when you're bouncing around as a coach, I was very, very fortunate as a coach's kid where really we only moved one time. From my birth to when I went off to Georgia Tech, we moved one time, and that was from Arizona State to San Diego State. And when you're a coach's kid and you're playing sports, unfortunately, your dad rarely gets to see you play, rarely, because yeah. on Friday night, their staff's out recruiting, and then they're back to the hotel uh, prior to the game. So he might have gotten to see one of my high school games over the course of four years. And so my junior college my junior college campaign for two years was very, very successful. I ended up being a, a record breaker, a record holder. We lost one game in two years, won the junior college national championship in 1993. And in 1993 was my dad's fifth year at San Diego State. And we are getting ready to play for the national championship. And he has not seen a single game of mine that year in person. And I'm on campus. I'm on campus going from one class to another. And all of a sudden, I look down the sidewalk, and I see my dad walking up the sidewalk. Now, what in the heck is he doing? And I could tell when I looked at him, I said, okay, this isn't good. So I figured right away something bad happened. And he walked up to me, and he put his shoulder, uh, hand on my shoulder, and he said, well, son, there's two kinds of coaches in this profession, ones that have been fired and ones that will be. Oh, no. So he goes, uh, they let me go, son. He goes, but here's the deal. You get to play for a national championship on Saturday, and I actually get to watch it in person. Oh, man. I mean, so that was it, pretty cool. yeah, sometimes uh, it, it, there is some sweet that comes along with the sour, huh? I guarantee you that. Sure, you know, being able to see that for your dad, that's something he'll remember the rest of his life. And I, and I will, too. And, then, and very, I was very fortunate later on through my travels and this and that on two separate occasions, I got to actually work with him in the profession, which has been, that's always something special to do if the opportunity presents itself. At what point along before you got to college, Tom, did, did you realize, okay, if I focus my attention to this, you know, I might can play? And, and how influential was your dad just in terms of uh, preparation and understanding of coverages and the things that you would need to know to excel? From the, the football IQ standpoint and the knowledge of the game standpoint, obviously as a coach's kid, you're going to be way ahead of the curve from the other kids because that's all you've been exposed to. You know, you've yeah. sat in on coaches' meetings and game plan meetings, and you've listened to college coaches on the field. You've gone – you know, I used to go out and practice with the quarterback at San Diego State when I was, you know, freshman and sophomore and junior and senior in high school. And I would go through two days with him, and I'd just take reps with the other quarterbacks. And these are all college kids. So I was, I was able to get a glimpse of what it was going to take 
what level of athletes these kids were, and if I wanted to do that, what I would have to do in order to make that a reality. Now, I had I had physical ability, but I was a real late bloomer. I like I couldn't gain weight, wasn't yeah. very tall, um, but I had I had a natural strong arm. I was a pretty good athlete. Um, I played multiple positions actually in high school and football. It wasn't just a quarterback. So I, I had some of that stuff going for me. And I think I probably knew that, all right, maybe I could be potentially good enough when I was brought up to the varsity as a sophomore, which in those days, in the state of California, you know, now everywhere you go, if a kid's good enough in ninth grade, he can play varsity. All right. Well, in those days in the state of California, there was a, a rule that if the only way you could play varsity football is if you were 15 years old. Um, and it was really more of a, a safety rule than anything else. And so you couldn't play on the varsity as a freshman. But if you were on the varsity as a sophomore, that was kind of a big deal. And I ended up making the varsity as a sophomore. I started about half of the games, and then I played a couple other positions. It was probably around then my sophomore year where I knew I had some resources available to me that other kids didn't have that I could utilize and that would benefit me. And then the rest of it just came down to whether or not I wanted to work at it, which I did just because I loved it so much. It wasn't, it wasn't work to me. Tom Luganville on Clemson Sports Talk today. So, Tom, you wrap up your college career at Eastern Kentucky after transferring from Georgia Tech, and then you play a couple of years uh, in the AFL. But then what a lot of people probably yeah. don't know about you is the fact that you actually coached for a while. I think that's something that's probably not mentioned enough about your, your time and career in sports. Yeah, really, 11 years uh, was spent in the, in the coaching slash scouting profession, um, bounced around from NFL Europe, the XFL the first time around. Uh, I've coached tight ends, wide receivers, quarterbacks. I've been a coordinator. I've been a director of player personnel. I've been a, a head coach in the Arena Football League. And you go through all these little spots and these destinations, and what you really realize is it's all about player personnel. It's all about having better players than the opponent. And I really – I really took to that. Like I, I gravitated toward player evaluation. I really enjoyed that side of it. A lot of coaches don't. A lot of coaches just want to coach ball and let somebody else worry about all that stuff. And I, I always liked that. And you know, it was neat. I, I had an opportunity. And you know, in 1998, with with NFL Europe, our our two quarterbacks were were Kurt Warner and Jake Delhomme. And so that was that was a neat experience to see what ended up transpiring after that for both players. Um, and, and the careers that they went on to have. Remember in 1996, Adam Vinatieri was our kicker at Amsterdam in NFL Europe. A lot of people don't realize that he was an NFL <laughs> Europe guy. Um, trying to think of some other uh, – well, you know, Tommy Maddox was our quarterback in the XFL, and we ended up winning the XFL championship. He ended up being the MVP of the league, and then the very next year – he was the NFL comeback player of the year. It took the Pittsburgh Steelers to the NFC championship game. And then, you know, kind of resurrected his career until what, three years later, and they drafted uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So I, I've had an opportunity to be around some, some good people. I worked for the Dallas Cowboys for two years in, in a dual role. I, I worked personnel for them on the Cowboys side of things. And then I, I operated and ran uh, Jerry Jones' arena football franchise at the time. We were pretty successful in that stint as well. So I've been able to be involved in a, in, in a vast, uh, uh, I guess you could say, 
knowledge of, of different leagues and different things and how things work in, in a variety of roles. And then ultimately kind of really kind of felt like once I got married, started having kids, the personnel side of it was something that had a little bit more stability, not as much bouncing around. Because, you know, when you're responsible for somebody else, it's not just you. you got to start right. making different decisions. I just became more comfortable doing that. And to be honest with you, that move is how I completely and accidentally fell backwards into the broadcasting world, which I've been a part of for the last 14 years. We hit a quick break and come back with more with Tom Luganville here on the show that shakes the Southland. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan on the line hanging out with you here. Tom Luganbill from ESPN. You can also be a part of the program. 803-450-0086. That is your text line. That is also your phone line now. Leave us a message on that number and we'll get with you. 803-450-0086. Of course, the website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, where you can join for just $0.18 cents a day. That's just $63.17 for a year's worth of coverage and and Tom we were talking about your life in sports but I'd probably be remiss at this point if I didn't ask you about Clemson and talent evaluation the job you do with ESPN uh, being uh, one of their lead recruiting analysts uh, there's no doubt that that you know your thought process behind that uh, means a lot to everybody out there so talk us up a little bit about what you see from what Clemson's been able to do and, and I would say, in addition to that, Tom, is the fact that they don't offer a lot of guys, which makes an offer from Clemson pretty significant. Well, the talent evaluation is part of what builds the culture. And, you know, you're not just trying to get the best guy. You're trying to get the right guy, the guy that fits for you, that, that's going to check the boxes that are important for you. And those boxes aren't always the same for every program. Some programs, many of the boxes are the same. Some of them, all of the same. Some of them, none of the same. It all depends on what your criteria is. And so once they started to identify what, what, their, what they wanted the environment to be, now you got to go recruit guys to that environment. And what that means is you don't make reaches you, 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 you don't go out on a limb and say, oh, God, it's got- Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at Chumba Casino. Casino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. He's so talented, but maybe he doesn't fit over here, but he's just so talented. We should take him anyway. That's where you probably start making more mistakes. And so, yes, they're very selective. Now they can afford to be selective because of the status that they've generated. Um, and, you know, you can't always be that selective uh, when you're trying to build something. You're going to have to take more risks then than you do now. I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is when we, we talked a little bit about people when it comes to Clemson, but then when you look at the players, okay, that they have targeted and you look at the positions where they had the most dominance and it's all the, the premium, what I call 
um, value positions, and there's really four of them in the, in the game of football. You got the quarterback position, the offensive line, the defensive line, and then defensive cornerback. And so, just like in any sport, you you build your roster from the inside out. Start from the trenches at quarterback, and you work your way you way out. And then, if we, if we go over Dabo's tenure. And you look at the impactful players, the highest drafted players, they're, they're all in the defensive front. They've been at corner. They've been at quarterback. Uh, there, there's a common denominator there. And that, that's not changing. I mean, that's, if you look at how Alabama's had their success, it's the exact same model. You look at LSU, it's the exact same model. You know, you can go out. And I tell people all the time, the, the, the job that Lincoln Riley has done at Oklahoma is nothing short of facial. But the reason Oklahoma can't win a playoff game is because they can't play defense. So at the end of the day, you can have as many receivers as you want. You can be able to score and do all this and that. But if you can't, if you can't disrupt people up front, you can't play defense, you can compete for a championship, but it's going to be hard to win one. And um, I think that Clemson has understood that under Dabo's leadership that we got to be able to play great defense. We got to be able to be physical up front. And we better have great quarterback play. And I'll end with this on Clemson. You know, the state of South Carolina has only got roughly 5 million people. All right. You've got another power five school that's a rival across the state. So, You've got a handful of really, really good in-state players, but you don't have enough just to build your own roster. So you've got to go into everybody else's backyard. And I, I think I could make a very clear argument. Um, and in, if, if, if somebody asks me who's done the best job recruiting outside of their state college football over the last 10 years, it's not even close. It's Clemson and everybody else is a distant second. Yeah, and this year's class. where they're in- – yeah, you look at where the impact players have come from. They're they're the majority of them outside of a Sharon Peak and you know some of the the in-state guys that ended up uh, making it and playing for them. The Sammy Watkins, the C.J. Spillers, the Christian Wilkins, the Isaiah Simmons, the Mackenzie Alexanders. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. They're all out of the state. The quarterbacks. Who are the quarterbacks? Yeah, so, you know whether it's Taj, whether it's Deshaun, whether it's Trevor, all that. So they've been able to do a great job casting a wider net and identifying, and not only getting good players, but getting good players and having them pan out. That's the goal in all of this. No, it's a fantastic point. And yesterday, of course, Clemson got the commitment of Will Shipley, who uh, ESPN has ranked as, I guess, the second uh, all-purpose running back. And, you know, the comparisons get made between uh, a running back such as himself to, to uh, you know, uh, guys like Christian McCaffrey in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it's probably too soon for that. But what does this young man bring to the table, Tom? Well, it's interesting, too, because he, he actually goes to the high school that my son's going to be going to next year. He lives down here in South Charlotte. I see Will all the time, and my son's going to be going to next year. He lives down here in South Charlotte. I see Will all the time, and uh, got to know his dad a little bit. And um, You know, it's interesting you make the, the Christian McCaffrey type of, type of comparison because coming out of high school, I think it's a very, very fair comparison, although – uh, Will is bigger right now than Christian was then. Christian was always on the smaller side and had to kind of grow from college and now to the NFL to add bulk and size. I think Will's going to enter the collegiate ranks a little bit more physically ahead of where Christian was at that time. 
Um, I think the thing that stands out about him is he doesn't ever have to come off the field. He can pass protect. He can play wide receiver. He can run short yardage, and he can play in space. So whether it's third and two or first and ten or second and eight and you want to move him out of the backfield, he can do all of it. And he's got some skill set as, as a return guy. So the, 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 you, you take that and you couple it with the fact that he comes from a great family. He doesn't have red flags. He checks all the boxes. He's going to be a model student. You're not going to have off-the-field issues with him. I mean, he's, he's basically everything you're going to want to ask for in a collegiate student athlete. Tom Lugabill here on the show that shakes the Southland. Tom, always good to catch up with you. And of course, uh, during the during the uh, interview there, you know, Tom mentioned uh, his high school and uh, growing up in, in Southern California, and, and Tony Hawk and John Lynch and, and names like that. Well, I, I'm sitting here, my phone starts blowing up in the middle of the interview, bzz, 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 and, and I begin to get these text messages uh, from a listener. Good buddy of mine, Jeremy, who uh, whose wife went to school with uh, Tom Lugan Bill. So I got some young Lugan Bill photos here, and I shared them. I had to share them with Tom. Uh, we'll be right back. Locked into the show that shakes the Southland every single Monday through Friday. You get two powerful hourfuls of the show. Again, the website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. ClemsonRadio.com will get you there as well if that's easier for you. And again, not only on in the Midlands on Fox Sports Radio 1400, but on the Clemson Sports Talk Radio Network, Rob Sanders, including including Sports Radio 100.1 The Fan in Florence at 920 a.m. in Manning. And again, it's a four-hour block technically because we go four to six in the Midlands. We go six to eight in the PD in the Low Country. All of it's on the iHeartRadio app. You can get the podcast. I, you know, I used to tell you there there are uh, are ways, you know, probably more ways to listen to the show than not. There's no vacuum cleaners that you can listen to the show on just yet, but they'll be there eventually, I'm sure. The iHeartRadio app's finding its way everywhere. We'll not be surprised uh, when that's going down. Uh, nonetheless, uh, again, Jeremy, who I told Tom Luganbill uh, in a text message, I said, Tom, I got to tell you, uh, I'm lucky I graduated Clemson given the fact that, that Jeremy and I are lucky that we graduated Clemson given the amount of time we spent playing hoops uh, back there in the day. But uh, he said small world. Apparently uh, his wife, Jeremy's wife, went to school with John Lynch, uh, Tom Luganbill, Luganbill's sister, who I didn't know until the text message from Luganbill said, oh, that's my twin sister. So now he's got a twin. We didn't even get a chance to talk about talk about that aspect of life growing up with a twin. But Really, really kind of took that interview uh, to a, a, another notch, you know, up a notch, just thinking about the uh, relationships there across the board. Thompson, man, it's a small world. It really is. That's one of those things that just kind of sets you back. And then Jeremy sent me a picture of Tom in the open field uh, as a freshman running back. And uh, I, I said that to Thomas. I said, look, and again, he is the national director uh, of recruiting for ESPN. I sent him, I said, look at this kid's form. He's a, got a five-star evaluation from me. So <laughs> Tom's always been uh, good to, good about coming on the program and 
you know, I, I know that getting a chance to hear from him talking about Will Shipley is a big deal for uh, so many Clemson Tiger fans uh, who may be wondering, okay, is what you hear and what you might see you know, in actuality, and Tom's a guy right there in Charlotte that you know is is in Shipley's backyard and, and knows everything about this guy. And he's you know you, if you you heard it, and if you didn't catch the podcast, and of course you know we'll slice it and dice it and give it to you real nice over on the website as well. And again, we'd love to have you come over and check it out if you haven't. Uh, there's more digital content there than any other site. Earlier this week, we let you know that you know our good buddy Mark Childress, his program, in addition to running on 105.5 The Roar in the Upstate, we're going to archive that and carry it over on the website as well which will bring you more exclusive interviews more digital content that is clemsonsportstalk.com so will we or won't we play college sports uh, in the near future i mentioned yesterday south carolina announced they're going back to campus in an interview earlier today on Talking Sports with Teddy Hefner. Uh, Teddy's program comes on before, before mine here uh, in the Midlands in the morning from 9 until noon. Uh, he interviewed Ray Tanner, and, and Ray Tanner told Teddy that they expected to have 15,000 people in the stadium. That's a stadium that holds 80,000 people. And again, these things could change. We know that. That's one of the that's one of the things I, I really want to impress upon everybody when we talk about this circumstance that we're dealing with with COVID-19. It is almost like a moving target. And so to give you definitive yes or no or numbers is is very difficult. And things could change. And I, I know we all hope that it does change. I know we all hope that we get to the point where we could say, okay, you know what? No big deal. 80,000 strong in the stadium. Let's go high-fiving our neighbors. That might not be the case. And so because of that, I think that anything that's said now – should be taken with a grain of salt from both directions where you could say, well, you said 15,000, but there's nobody at the games versus you said 15,000, but it's a, a packed house, right? I mean, it's a guessing game at this point in terms. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Of what things will look like. The NCAA, however, did put out a release about their core principles of of the resocialization of college sports and breaking down the guidelines and the core principles of what they were going to utilize. Uh, and a couple of brief notes here on this front, and it's a, it's a laundry list of things, but uh, they say, number one, there must be there must not be directives at the national level that preclude, preclude, preclude <laughs> easy for you to say, Swanee, uh, preclude resocialization. State and local authorities must have in place a plan for resocialization. Their uh, downward trajectory of influenza like illnesses reported within a 14 day period and a downward trajectory of COVID like symptomatic cases reported in a 14 day period. I mean, they go on and on. They say that there should be a plan in place at the university or college level level for the resocialization of students, uh, including uh, in keeping with the federal guidelines, universities should consider guidance provided to employers to develop and implement appropriate policies regarding the following from temperature checks, testing and isolating to sanit- you know, sanitizing things 
travel, uh, etc. I mean, they've got all of these guidelines in place that they're going through. Three phases, uh, phase one, two, and three. I mean, it is so much to get into. But what I will say is that we are getting some steps and some ideas of how we could see this you know, come to fruition. Doesn't mean it will. But they're, they're, you know, where you might feel like August and, and September college football is a long way off, uh, the reality is the steps that are being put in place now will hopefully help us reach those goals. It is incredibly, incredibly important for you as an individual, in my opinion, to not only look at the the guidelines that exist, but then fact check anything you see in this day and age. You got to fact check everything. Uh, anybody can get a blog and post. So just be conscientious of the decisions that you are making. But again, the NCAA, NCAA.org is the website. They've got their core principles to the resocialization of co- uh, of collegiate sports. And then, of course, uh, as I mentioned, um, we heard from Ray Tanner, 15,000 people in the stadium for South Carolina games is what he currently expects. And I reached out to Dan Radikovich, who has covered up this week, but we're hoping to get Clemson University Athletic Director Dan Radikovich on the show next week to talk about his plans and what it's looking like up in Tigertown. And there have been coaches weighing in across the country on this, and uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of that coming up later in the program. As a matter of fact, we'll try to get to one when we get back here. we got to hit a quick break. Don't forget hour number two, legendary Clemson SID. Tim Beret joins the program. It's always good to catch up with him and talk from the historical perspective on the show that shakes the Southland. Shaking the Southland every afternoon. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan. Glad to have you with us here on the program again. Thank you to Tom Luganbill for hanging out for a few minutes and uh, always good to catch up with him. Spencer wants to know, does Luke's have the robe on, Superman shirt? He says he needs to bring gifts like he does to Mark Packer. Yeah, you know, Pac-Man show... Uh, a, a little more intimate in that the guests are coming in studio. <laughs> I mean, obviously that's not happening now with uh, Packer and Durham, but right there in his basement. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if Lugs was like a neighbor, he'd come over and hang out with us. But he comes bearing gifts. I didn't know that. I don't get to watch um, Mark Packer's morning show as much as I have the opportunity uh, to listen occasionally to his show in the afternoons. But, yeah, uh, I don't know if he had a robe on when we were doing the interview or not. He may have. He may have. But uh, it was good. It was really good to catch up with him. And again, Tim Bray coming up in hour number two. So I mentioned coaches, universities, the NCAA. I mean, the plan, they're trying to put some preliminary plans in place. You've got to have preliminary plans in place. And so I talked about the fact that there were conversations out there probably a week or so ago about 
having to mix up the college football universe, so to speak, if every every conference couldn't agree to play? And would you be willing, as a fan of the sport, to say, you know what, Swanee, I'd rather scrap a national championship just to have football. I mean, would you give that up? Would you say, we we can't have all the leagues if if the Pac-12 decides they can't play? And you just get the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12. You, you know, the Big 10 is it is pretty interesting, I think, in terms of the dy- the dynamic of whether or not they'd be able to play because of Rutgers would be you know one team that I would I would point towards. I don't, you know I don't know about proximity in any other cases, but that would certainly be something to consider, I think. But let's just say let's just say for a minute that every conference but one decided that they could play in the Power Five. You know, what would that look like? And James Franklin, head coach at Penn State, was asked to discuss what if the 14 schools that make up the Big Ten are unable to open their camps or seasons simultaneously. And that's just in one league. And he said that, you know, it needs to be consistent across the Big Ten. And so from that standpoint, he feels like college football, the plans need to be national or not at all. So it's either, hey, we're all in this together or we're not going to do this at all. And so that's what that's one of my concerns that I have is that if we if we say we got to have every team and we can't revamp schedules I don't know if you're going to get a season. But if you're willing to say, okay, we'll do a year without a championship. I mean, basketball didn't have a championship. They didn't even get a chance to play. But you're going to get a chance to play. The teams that want to play or can play will have some semblance of a season. Would you accept that right now? And so from that standpoint, I think that it's – it's one of those deals where flexibility is not something that you're accustomed to needing or having in college sports because everybody as a collective is moving through a 12-game schedule, etc. But that might not be the case. The timeline it, it might not work for some places in the fall. And so I don't know what that will ultimately look like. But a guy like James Franklin, who's a much bigger name in the college sports business than Swanee, says, I just don't think that it's going to work if things are inconsistent. And he says it needs to be national or not at all. Either everybody's doing it or we're not doing it at all. And, And again... I don't want to call that a a scary proposition because I could live without football. I didn't think I could, but I could I could get through a year if I had to. I'd survive. But that being said, you don't want to have to. I don't want to have to. 
But if the majority of people get to the point where they say, hey, look, if everybody's not all in, none of us are all in, the odds that you have a college football season go from slim to none in a mighty big hurry. Because like I've said from the get-go, I don't know how you convince UCLA or USC or any schools in major metropolitan areas to safely have a college football season right now. Or to even ask players and coaches to fly across the country right now. I just don't I don't know how you pull that off. I think for me, I'd prefer just to have football, even if it's scattered, even if it's all over the map, even if it's there's no clear cut timetable on when it's going to start and when it's going to end, I'd prefer to have that. I can live if we don't, but if the collective mindset is it's either all or none, you might as well, in my opinion, go ahead and start preparing on none. Just based on my observations of, one, human beings and their thought process on this whole COVID-19 deal, and, and two... Uh, from the standpoint of trying to get the collective whole to say, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Hour number two, Tim Bray joins the program with us right here on Clemson Sports Talk, and we'll dive into the archives uh, that that really is uh, Clemson Google. Tim Bray after. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Tiger style. Tiger style. Is our number two? That's drive time right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan hanging out with you, getting set to get our good buddy Tim Beret, legendary Clemson SID, on the guest line with us to talk a little bit about things that went on in the past Hello. up in Tiger Town. Tim, man, welcome in. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, Lon? Oh man, always good. And you know, I was thinking today. I've interviewed so many people about their lives in sports and the impact from that standpoint. But, you know, in your role that that you were in at Clemson for for 40 years in the sports information department, do you get an opportunity to to meet and and talk to, like, coaches from the other side or, or anything like that? Like, if I said to you, hey, Tim, do you have a relationship with Bobby Bowden, would that have been something along the lines of your roles that you would have made throughout the years? 
you know, that's an interesting question you bring up. Um, not not that many uh, outside of those at your uh, at your school at the place that you worked. Um, I did have a good relationship uh, with Bobby Crimmins, and still do to this uh, to this day. Of course, he was the, the Georgia Tech basketball coach, and. Um, and however, I just got to kind of got to, to know him, and then uh, Bobby's Catholic, and when they would play a Sunday game at uh, at, at Clemson, I would uh, I'd go pick him up and, and take him to mass, and we we go to mass in, uh, in in Clemson the morning of a Sunday uh, of a Sunday game, and so uh, and then when he became a broadcaster, just you know got to know him even even more so. He's, he probably, um, outside of any coach from Notre Dame, I'd, I'd say probably had the uh, um, biggest relationship, or however you want to phrase it, uh, with a coach outside of Clemson would be Coach Crimmins. Well, and, and I, it I was think... especially, I might add, it was especially great this year that you know he got to broadcast the Clemson North Carolina game in uh, in Chapel Hill when we won in Chapel Hill to end the streak, uh, and he he. Um, he got to do it because Mike Jeminski was sick. It was one of the few games he did he did all year. So that was kind of neat that he got to do that game. Well, and I also think about the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, I think I mentioned this to you last week, a, a guy like uh, Jim Phillips, you know, his voice for me was just something so unique. But then on the flip side, for so many years, guys like Larry Munson, who were, were you know, the color guy over at Georgia, and in and in your capacity, being in the press box, being around these individuals, did you build some relationships through the years with any of those, you know, big names in terms of, you know, being the voice of programs as well? Oh, you mean the uh, the uh, the opposing announcers? Sure, mean? right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Of course, we got to interact with it because you always met with them before the game to uh, uh, to go over, um, you know, lineups, injuries, whatever new with your uh, with your uh, uh, program. So, yeah, I mean, I got to go, you know, Bob Fulton, um, you know, pretty well. I got to know Woody Durham. Of course, in the ACC. He also had uh, other uh, opportunities. You know, one thing that was great in going way back was, you know, we had an ACC Sports Writers Association, and we would meet at the ACC tournament, and then we would have a golf outing up at Grandfather Mountain. So, uh, you know, you play, you spend five hours on a golf cart with a guy. Uh, you know, you kind of got to know him, and I, I played golf with Woody Durham a few times up at that, uh, uh, you know, that event. So, uh, it's so. Uh, you know, got to know him pretty well, and now obviously I've done done things with his son. Well, and I, I think too, you know, when you talk about Durham, and obviously you mentioned Wes and 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 Mark Packer. One of the interesting things that has kind of surfaced, I, I think, from our conversations with uh, Mark Packer, at least, was uh, the relationship that you two had and the times that y'all spent together. And we referenced some of those last week. But w- what I really find interesting about almost everybody I've run into is no one's really forced into the sport that they ended up loving or playing by their parents, regardless of what their parent did. It, you know, if their dad was a football coach, dad didn't force them that way. I mean, Tommy Bowden's talking about his dad playing Pepper, playing a baseball game with him when he's kids. And I just find it so significant that, you know, these, these, these people that are so invested heavily in one sport were really so well-rounded growing up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly an interesting, uh, 
interesting point. You can uh, you can look at that uh, two ways. You know, it's the uh, it wasn't this past draft, but a very high percentage of the guys who got drafted in the first couple of rounds of the NFL, you know, played a second sport. Um, in high school or even in uh, in college, uh, and so I think that well-rounded nature um, has you know contributed to a lot of those guys' success. You could say the same thing for broadcasters or sports information directors or or whatever. Um, you know that's that's uh, you know if you're a sports information director, you you're going to cover more than just football. At least certainly when you start out, you cover a lot of different sports, and uh, you know that's that's. A lot of the successful people in the, in our business that's uh, that's you know been a key to have that kind of uh, all around interest. Tim Beret here on Clemson Sports Talk, as he is every Thursday, giving you an inside look at the sports information aspect of of Clemson University and, and that role. And you know, I, I think that one of the things that is so amazing to people, especially guys like me in the media, maybe more so than even the casual observer, Tim, is it's not quite instant. But nearly an hour or two after the ball game, there'll be a sheet that'll come out that'll have all the latest records. Clemson rushed for 200 yards for the fourth time in six ball games. That's a new new record. This document or whatever this is, I don't know if you formulated it initially, but what goes into putting that sheet together? And what is that called, if you don't mind sharing that? And how much time and effort is put in by you know, guys like Ross Taylor, et cetera, much like you did many years ago to, to, to take care of that type of thing? Yeah, we did. You talk about it as post-game notes, and it's, it's uh, you know, just facts about the game that you have to kind of think like a sports writer, what they're going to be interested in, either something that's going to contribute to their story, be a part of their lead, or, you know, a lot of, a lot of the newspapers or, or whatever, uh, you know, back in the day or now the websites, they just, they just print whatever you have, have sent them because a lot of the fans, I think the fans are more and more uh, interested in some things like that than um, maybe 20, 30 years ago. But, but I, I've, I've always uh, did notes in football games or basketball games. And when I was in uh, the communications uh, uh, director and, and you certainly, what you try to do is you have to, um, kind of think ahead what could happen okay. and that all becomes uh, about asking the the right questions about what you think can happen um in the last four or five years and i know ross does this before the game even started maybe on thursday i would type up a document you know with this win and so you would assume a win and come up with different notes you know uh you know what the what the uh what it meant to win if you're playing a ranked team, you know, how what's this is the highest ranked team Clemson has beaten since. So they're timeless notes, assuming a win. Uh, so that's a way you can, uh, you know, publish the items um, as quickly as, uh, as possible after the game. And uh, for the, for all the uh, final fours that were in Atlanta, up at, I guess I did 2007, I think it was, but I did the I did the notes for the NCAA, uh, and so when you had a nine o'clock start of a game, and everybody in those days was on a deadline, um, that that's where I kind of started uh, uh, doing it, doing 
timeless notes. I would do notes for one team, and then one, if they had won, and then notes for the other team. They had won. I remember I did the Indiana-Maryland national championship game, and I had a page of notes on each team. And the team that won, we we copied those notes and passed them out. And the team that lost, I just deleted the file. Unbelievable, especially given the fact that you would have been associated with Clemson and had to kind of dig all of that information up. And for anybody that's ever run a website or written an article talking about sports to to get that you know that detailed, I mean, it can be it can that can be a thankless task that takes an awful long time. What kind of hours are we talking about to create those things? Yeah, I mean, I would start. Um you know, at like one o'clock. I mean, for those national those national championship games, I would get to the building if the game was at nine o'clock, and I get there at one o'clock, and you had all the uh, you know the media guides for each team. You had their stats. Uh, you had the postseason guides for each team, and then you had the NCAA record book. So you just kind of had to go through and think of things that uh, that might happen. I know one note I I uh, did at uh, USA Today. I remember used the next uh, day Maryland when they won the national championship became the whatever it was sixth school to win a national championship in football and basketball over their uh over their history which uh you know, think about it it's, it's pretty difficult uh to do they'd won the national championship in football in 1953 and then won it in 2002 to uh to join that uh that group and that one got up a lot of attention but that was something I could research during the day, you know, before the game was even played. And then as soon as the game ended, you know, we passed it out and, and it got a lot of, uh, a lot of use. It was more critical just 15, 20 years ago, you know, to have something as soon as the game ended, because, you know, newspapers had the deadline. Now somebody, everything's on in a website and, and, you know, there are no real deadlines. You just get well, it up there when you finish. Well, and and that begs the question. So, pre-internet, when you're kind of doing this stuff, how did, how did you how did you dig up the information that you needed to to be able to disseminate it? Or, or was it? I guess it wasn't even sent out because there was no email. What? Well, when we had no, we had email. Uh, I'm trying to think when email started. Wow, probably about ninety three, um, ninety two. Yeah, probably about probably about. Uh, about then, yeah, I mean, you know, when I first started in 1978, you you sent stuff to the newspapers over a telecopier, and a telecopier was this thing you would stick the phone into one end of it, and you would put the paper on a drum, and it would go around, around, around for either four minutes or six minutes, and then it would it would uh, print out of this paper. Uh, and, you know, and then finally we had the fax machine sometime in the eighties and that made things a little easier. Things went a lot of quick, a lot quicker, but, um, yeah, when you were sending out a press release in 1981 during the national championship season, uh, you know, if you wanted it to go to everybody that day, uh, you had to do it by telecopter. Now we had extensive mailing lists where we did a weekly release on, we would finish on Sunday nights and bring them to the post office, and you know you would get to the to the state uh, uh, media, the, you know, the next next day in the mail. But obviously, those were just kind of general notes you would publish for the, the game that was coming up on Saturday or the basketball game. 
40 years as the SID in Clemson is still continuing to work hard. Tim Beret on Twitter at Tim Beret and, and talking about the advances in sports, et cetera, Tim, I know there was a post that came up or came through my feed the other day with uh, touchdown responsibility by Atlantic Coast Conference quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, at the top of that, that list, obviously Lamar Jackson, but right there behind him, you got Deshaun Watson a couple of times. You had Taj Boyd and, and you also have a guy like Trevor Lawrence. And it, and it got me thinking, are, are, is the success in your mind of the quarterbacks today really a byproduct of, of the systems, or would you make the argument that Boyd, uh, Watson, and, and Lawrence are the best three quarterbacks in Clemson's history based on those numbers? You know, that's a very interesting question, and, and my, my overall answer is it is a product of the system. There is no doubt in my mind that if Woody Dancer was playing today, he would he would account for forty five, fifty touchdowns uh, in a in a in a season. As it was in two thousand one, he was the first quarterback in history to have two thousand yards rush uh, passing and a thousand yards rushing in the same um, season. Uh, so it's all about what you what you tried to do on on offense. You know, obviously in the in the seventies and eighties, you know the the, uh, the running backs were going to score or account for more most of the touchdown because you were going to run the ball, you know, uh, much more. I mean, Steve Fuller was a terrific quarterback. Who knows what he could have done in this type of offense uh, to, today? But you know, Steve Fuller only threw about. 13, 14 passes, uh, passes a game. So uh, it is kind of comparing apples and oranges today uh, to what the offenses did, uh, you know, 20 and 30 years ago. But, you know, that said, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Clemson, uh, the last three or four quarterbacks we've had have been, have been ter- terrific. There's no doubt about it. Tim Beret on the program here. And Tim, as things advance through the years, obviously, uh, you went from an era where it was traditionally just the newspapers into the, you know the radio industry being a bigger part of it, and then the websites kind of came on board. In, in terms of what it looked like through the years, from that standpoint, uh, the 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 coverage and the exposure that these guys get, even now with just social media, um, how much of a change did you see in your forty years from that standpoint? If you can, you know, kind of quantify that for listeners. Well, yeah, obviously the, uh, you know, the beat writer, the sports writer was, uh, was the number one, um, uh, you know, person that, that, that covered you. And, um, you know, you put as a sports information director, you put a lot of emphasis on dealing with that person and, and, you know, what he, what he said, Dan Foster, when he wrote for the Greenville News, had a big influence on what people thought about your program. Now, I still think that that people that you know that the, the media, outside media, is still important um, because you know, fans should look at it that um, a, a writer, whether it be the local writer or a national writer or ESPN person or whatever, you know, they don't have to say anything good about your your program so when they do it has more meaning and quite frankly probably has more credibility than what you put out yourself um now i will say one of the similarities that that's been consistent through the 40 years is television 
has been, uh, you know, a very important, you know, being on television with your games was uh, probably even more important 40 years ago because there weren't that many games on TV. But today, uh, a lot of what ESPN says about you is the image that your fans have or the outside people have, um, you know, on your program. When was the time? I guess we got about a, about a minute. Uh, I don't know if you can give us this or not in that that time frame. But when did you you, know, do you recall the year that it, things upticked in terms of exposure and, and the number of games that were being covered? Yeah, and in 1984, there was a lawsuit between Oklahoma with Oklahoma and Georgia, um, you know, suing the NCAA um, concerning you know being able to market yourself in your television, uh, and it really expanded things as far as uh, uh, numbers of games that were on television. You know, when I was in college, uh, you know, Notre Dame could only be on three times a year, and that was that was it, or anybody could only be on three times a year, but there weren't just that many games. But I'd say the early 80s, especially uh, uh, after that lawsuit, I think it was 1984, um, and then, you know, CBS got involved in televising games, ESPN, you know, ESPN, you said you just tape delayed games, uh, but they expanded the amount of live games they were, they were able to do. So, uh, it was during that time. Tim, appreciate a little walk down memory lane from the media side of things to the uh, SID side of things here today. Always good to chat with you again. Follow him on Twitter at Tim Beret. Tim, we'll talk to you next Thursday, buddy. Thank you. Sounds good, Lon. Good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Tim Beret, you know, that's a unique look at how this thing has morphed into what we have now, where I am, because of COVID-19, doing a show from home, multiple markets, and you are consuming it via podcast or live on the Internet uh, versus a day and age where, really, there was maybe one true mouthpiece uh, for a university. Those are writers with the newspaper. Incredible shift over 40 years, that's for sure. Clemson Sports Talk, I appreciate Tim Beret giving us a little inside look into the, how things have transformed through the years. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, honestly, that the sports information directors and the head coaches at other universities don't have bigger relationships. And, and maybe, maybe a part of that is the fact that I don't know if the ACC kickoff and the ACC tip-off and all the stuff that they do for for these sports has existed long enough. I, I just don't know how long those things have been around, but you know, it seems like in those circumstances you might get a chance to have some crossover and mesh where you might know a guy, or you know, maybe even you've you've you know, you're now working with somebody who's friends with them or have been a part of their staff or their program before. But uh, the radio stuff. You know, and hearing names like Bob Fulton, and again, I mentioned a guy like Larry Munson, to hear the conversation that these guys get together before the game and break down some of the, you know, the inside scoop that maybe you might not know otherwise, I thought was pretty unique. And then to think about going from a what do you call it a tele was it a teletype? Is that the machine where you put the headphone? I've never even seen that. 
prior to the, <laughs> the advent of a fax machine, but trying to get that information out and disseminate it to uh, the media channels, good gravy, back in the day. But n- now it is. It's a microwave society, and those messages come quick. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, they come extremely, extremely fast. Uh, man. That's always that's always kind of blows my mind at how different the world was in 1978 when Tim Bray arrived at Clemson to where it was in 19 or 2018 uh, when he retired. According to uh, the Athletics, uh, Josh Kendall, he said that uh, on the statement about whether or not we'll be playing. Josh Kendall said that the SEC has everything on the table regarding options for the 2020 season. Quote, if the SEC's only option is to play football by themselves and crown a champion in Atlanta, they'll do that. So again, this is uh, you go back to what I said earlier about the news out of Penn State and James Franklin's mindset is, look, it needs to be everybody or nobody. Oh, well, hello there, Rocky. Thanks for checking out the show. <laughs> the kitten that has always been a part of the program sleeping apparently now wakes up and hops in and wants to have a word with you here on the program. But I will say, going back to what I was getting at a few minutes ago, is that you know, I, I think that that scenario would would obviously bother a lot of people. Now, the SEC would claim, well, hey, we're the best conference. We're the best football league. Our champ might as well be the champ. But can you imagine? I'm going to put you in a, in, a, in a situation here in your mind's eye for a moment. Can you imagine a circumstance where Clemson is in the state of South Carolina where Clemson is surrounded by Georgia and and the Georgia Bulldogs, Tennessee. Could you imagine a scenario where the ACC says, you know what, we're not going to play football this year. And the SEC says, yeah, we are. We're playing. Now, if, if you think about that for a minute, we've talked about how I did not believe that the COVID-19 situation would slow down or derail Clemson in any way, shape, or form in terms of recruiting necessarily or changing their them in the pecking order of college football. I don't know that I can continue to hold up that argument if it turned out that Clemson was not going to play football because of the the ACC's ruling, if that's what they chose to do, while SEC schools were playing, because I it, it would be very difficult 
to imagine a circumstance where players would say, I'll stay at Clemson. Right? You're going to lose guys to the NFL. You're going to have this negative stigma against you. People are going to say, hey, look, you go to that league, they're not even going to play football potentially next year because we don't know what next year will hold. Why are you going to go there? You could you could see a significant fall off uh, if that's the case. And for Clemson, more so than Syracuse or Boston College, I mean, you are literally right in the middle of that SEC footprint. <laughs> right in the middle of it. And trying to digest what college football 803-450-0086 803-450-0086 that's your text line in your phone line trying to digest 803-450-0086 that's your text line in your phone line trying to digest what college football would look like if only one league's playing and what recruiting looks like if only one league's playing listen to me it's a different conversation if it's four out of the five power fives, if it's the, all the teams who feel comfortable playing, it's completely different. But if you get down to a scenario where one league says, you know what, we don't care what's going on, we're, we, we're good, we're going to go play, I think you start to, you need to start having concerns at that point about not the perception of your school. Not even the perception of your league, but the value that you offer kids who want to play collegiately. Because the recruiting against you will be, you don't know if they're going to play in 2021. And how do you prove otherwise? You can't. So I would be against the mindset that Josh Kendall of the athletics says that the SEC has created and if their only option is to play football by themselves and crown a champion in Atlanta, they'll do that. I'm against that. I'm not against three or four conferences deciding or everybody splitting it up. I would be against that scenario wholeheartedly. 803-450-0086. That's your text line. 803-450-0086. We'll hit a quick quick break here on the program and come back with uh, another thought on uh, EA Sports' NCAA 2020. We talked about it last week. We'll touch on some other things with it when we get back. Clemson Sports Talk, the show that shakes the Southland. Double O checking in. He says, Swanee, I'm going to games in a bubble suit. <laughs> Call me the man in the bubble. Yeah. The man in the bubble, double O. 803-450-0086. That's how you can participate. You can also chat on Facebook uh, as well. That comes to us here in studio. I mentioned NCAA football, and again, last week we touched on this from the standpoint of why you don't have the video game and you know the biggest issue with this continues to be the fact that the NCAA doesn't want to have players unionize 
And that's really what you would need to to get something like this signed off on, as we brought up last week. But, you know, one of the things with the new licensing agreements and, and things that are in place from that standpoint, I think over the long haul, what a solution would be, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but would be that when a when a player signs a letter of intent to play or even a walk-on, you know, if create some paperwork, and I don't know if walk-on sign paperwork or not, but, you know, create some paperwork that when you sign that and make this uniform across the board that you grant the school at that point the ability to license and utilize your likeness uh, in a game as part of your your scholarship and and you know it's part of your agreement to be a part of the team i yeah and again i guess that could go to court at some point but in a day and age where players are going to be allowed to be compensated for their likeness i would think that from the standpoint of freedom to choose what you want to do you can either a not play football or if you do play and sign a, a letter of intent, part of that agreement is that your likeness can be utilized in a game to bring that back. So that across the board, you get sort of a group think and a group feel because the guys, well, the players want this. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think if you asked the players today, the number of guys that would say, no, I don't want it, and I would like to be compensated for my likeness being used – would be minuscule. It'd be such a small number that if you could find a way to make it part of the deal, that if you're going to play college football, this is part of it. I I, I don't know. You know, I I don't know how that doesn't doesn't fly. I mean, quite frankly, if you think about the games on TV, right? And the game is on television, and the players aren't compensated from that television opportunity, that TV time and all that money that's flowing through. And that's a part of where I guess some of this came from. But from that standpoint, the kids want to be in the game. The fans want the game. And I I read an interesting little note from Stuart Mandel on this. And one of the things that he said, I think it's a great point. He's like, man, if you're an athletic director – and essentially, you know, paraphrasing, he said, if you're an AD and you want to get popular real quick, start championing this movement. The movement of getting the NCAA video game back. Make that a, a, a platform and a priority. And, and your, your popularity will skyrocket. And I, I think the other thing that's bad, and all this stuff isn't going to be voted on until January of 2021, on that front, but what really bugs me maybe the most, especially in this coronavirus COVID-19 timeline that we're living in, is really how fun those simulations are. And if we are pressed to go months without college football, like William Quackenbush, who's a guest on this program every Monday, 
you know, Quark started doing a simulated season on MLB 2K20. And for a while, he was at least calling the games. I went on there the other day. He wasn't calling them. But it was for the Braves and for Braves fans because Braves fans want to see some Braves games. And these aren't real Braves games, but they're Braves games. You follow me? Dude, if I could run a simulation every Saturday about noon with Clemson's <laughs> Clemson's new team versus you know, whoever, people would tune in to watch it over on social media because they they just they you just want something to hold on to, something to believe in, even if it is a video game. And it's it's terrible, in my opinion, that we don't have this game right now outside of whatever version you can get. Was it 2013, I think, on a PlayStation 3, whatever Lowell has, and you have to update the rosters. Just fast-track this. Can we not figure out how to fast-track this? A little just in case. You want to you cover your butt. There you go. Figure out how to make that happen in a hurry. Forget about the SEC playing football all by themselves in their little bubble. Talk about being in a bubble. Uh, Figure out how to get me NCAA football by the fall. (laughs) If you can't work on figuring out how to cure COVID-19, then if you have the ability, could you start working on how to create an NCAA football game so we can run some simulations in the fall, please? Let's do let get, fit one or the other. Either A, get working on project, you know, project A, or B, get working on project B. There is no in between. Solve the COVID, or give me NC, give me a, a video game, give me NCAA football. I mean, again, I think collectively, if you attack this the right way, it could get done. Once the new deal comes together, but as of right now, the way things are structured, because it would take the individual. I mean, Michael Jordan, you may not remember this. Michael Jordan wasn't in NBA 2K for several years. You get the video game. There's no Michael Jordan. You can sign off on it. They just had some random guard. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you, buddy. Dragging video games down since 1995. We hit a quick break. We come back. We put a bow on the show that shakes the Southland. It is Clemson Sports Talk. And again, your website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. What have you done for me lately? It's a fair question. Just don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't forget history. Lucky for us at Clemson. The answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately, and what have you done always, are the same. We win.
final segment on the show today. <laughs> Clips and sports talk. Really appreciate everybody being a part of the program and uh, just hanging out with us, having a good time, talking about your Clemson and Tigers and everything else going on in the world. Uh, 803-450-0086. 803-450-0086. We've talked about so many different things and significant changes, not just to college football over the years with Tim Beret, but obviously uh, Tom Luganbill weighing in on the program about his life in sports, and he gave us some thoughts on Will Shipley, who he – uh, has a good handle on being the Shipley plays right there in uh, his backyard to coaches trying to figure out uh, it's going to be an all or none approach to uh, playing football this year and you know how all that looks I, I, I have no idea I know Oregon football uh, or at least Oregon athletics announced that they're not going to be having fans in attendance at ball games at least through, I believe, September. So I've got a, you, you, the one thing about that, again, this furthers that conversation about some of those schools on the West Coast, and I really have concerns more than anything about schools like UCLA and Southern Cal, and you're going to continue to hear those names because they are in Los Angeles. I mean, a huge, a huge metropolitan area i mean just tons and tons of people you're not going to hear me talk about the concerns per se uh, in an area like clemson or auburn by comparison to the concerns in a large metropolitan area now you start to jam eighty thousand fans into an arena or into a excuse me into a stadium and you know, I think the concern level is increased versus the day-to-day operations in smaller communities and in smaller, less populated states. But from from that standpoint, you know, to imagine what a uh, college football season could or could not look like—I don't know what's the, you know, what the the best way to say that is—is uh, is, it's pretty wild at this point, and still so much to try to. Uh, to try to get into. So the article from um, Oregon says that there will be no sell, no sellouts at Outson Stadium because of the announcement made by Governor Kate Brown that the state uh, is moving towards reopening in phases. Uh, she said there is some difficult news to share. Large gatherings, including live sporting events, with audiences, concerts, festivals, and conventions will not be able to return until we have a reliable treatment or prevention like a vaccine. So from that standpoint, you know, right now in the state of Oregon, it just doesn't look positive that they're going to be having fans in attendance unless something significant changes between now and, and September. And I would pose that question to you. What would your thoughts be if some schools, you know, South Carolina, we mentioned the guesstimate from Ray Tanner that maybe about 15,000 people might be in the stadium for Carolina football games this year. 
I don't even know about what that looks like from the media standpoint, the number of people to be able to cover these games. I have no clue on that front. But how would you feel if some teams had games but didn't have fans and others had some fans? Is that fair, not fair? Do we need equality on that front? Does it need to be an all or or none approach? I don't know. I, I know this. I know this. It's May the 7th. And you could pretty much bet your bottom dollar over the next month. This is going to be a hot topic. How do you get college football back to normal by August has been there. Now it's, can you get the entirety back to normal? Will it be just a few? I don't know what the right answer is. I wish I did. But I can tell you that given the the number of conversations that exist about ideas and how it could work, you ever you ever you ever work with a group and tried to you know come up with one great idea? It's hard. Dissenting views, people wanting to be right. I, it, it's it's tough. And to imagine that we don't have some top down legislation from the NCAA to the institutions or the 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 conferences is hard to imagine at this point that it's not just trickled down on top of everybody i I don't know what the answers are going to be folks I, i wish i could tell you i just know it is a moving target as i said earlier thank you to tom luganbill thank you to tim beret we will be back here for the friday edition of the program with you tomorrow And until then, check out the website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. ClemsonRadio.com will get you there as well. And until then, as always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers! Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.